0: Welcome to our nine o'clock service on the lawn. You guys look pretty comfortable. The shade's pretty good, right? Must be nice. Maybe I'll try that someday in the shade. Um, Meanwhile, I've got my water. I'm prepared. And if all else fails, I'm just going to dunk myself in there. I'll preach from there. Um, But I think we'll be okay. We're going to continue our series, Armed, a a series on, on spiritual battles, spiritual warfare. And today we're going to be looking at the belt of truth and just, you know, praise God that He has not left us alone. He has fully equipped us. He has fully prepared us to be victorious, to win, to stand firm. And we're talking about that this morning. Before we dive into it, um, first of all, my name is Hilke Hilke. I'm the family pastor, and uh, it's privilege to share from God's Word this morning. Before we dive into the text, I want to share just a couple statistics with you that honestly are pretty concerning. Some statistics about uh, evangelicals and their views on the character and nature of God. For example, and this was a survey conducted by Lifeway, so you know, pretty reputable uh, company. 30% agree that Jesus was a great teacher but he was not God. That's concerning. 46% believe the Holy Spirit is a force, but not a personal being. Almost one in five, 18% to be exact, believes the Holy Spirit can tell me to do something which is forbidden in the Bible. Almost half 46% 46% believe that everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature and that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. That's concerning. 100% agree that God created male and female. So that's good. Yet more than one in five evangelicals, 22%, also believe that gender identity is a matter of choice. That's concerning. 39% believe the prosperity gospel claim that God will always reward true faith with material blessings in this life. Wow. Almost one in four. 23% think that religious belief is a matter of personal opinion. It is not about objective truth. We have a truth problem, don't we? We have a truth problem in our, in our culture at large, and, and we'll, we'll talk about that in just a few moments. But we have a truth problem even within the evangelical church. We have a truth problem. And when we let go of truth... It will leave us impotent, powerless in the spiritual battle. If we let go of truth, we are setting ourselves up for defeat, for discouragement, living in fear, and not to thrive, to be victorious, to stand. Here's where we're going this morning in our now what. It's in your notes. And your notes are available on our app or also on the homepage of our website, trinityonline.org. Or now what is this? That God's strength and mighty power enables us to stand firm in our faith by knowing and living the truth. God's strength and mighty power. Those are not two things. That's one and the same thing. God's strength and mighty power enables us to stand firm in our faith by knowing and living the truth. We're looking at a very small portion of Scripture this morning. It literally just says this in verse 14 of chapter 6. Stand firm then with a the belt of truth buckled around your waist. And we're going to unpack that this morning together. But before we get to the text, what is truth? What is truth? And how do we know truth? Philosophers call that epistemology. How do we know truth? And as we look at history, we find that um, that has morphed over the years in, in some very concerning ways. For instance, and there's a little graph in your notes. Just click on it if you're, if you're following along in the app. We also have it uh, on the screen here. In the pre-modern era, which I have loosely defined as everything up to about 1500. If you're a historian, that's probably a gross oversimplification and grossly offensive. But it's going to have to do for our purpose because it's, it really does um, fit uh, what we're talking about this morning, but about 1500 and before, maybe 1480 and before, the pre-modern understanding of truth. What is truth? Is we see that, that God and Scripture were viewed as the authority. God and Scripture as authoritative. And then science and religion work together to reveal Reality a partnership, synergy. But then a shift took place after about that 1500 mark or so. And we move into the modern era as science and reason became authoritative, naturalism. We began to elevate the capability of the human mind, human understanding, really, Quite frankly, divorced from religion, as the Enlightenment age you know takes root and really takes off, leaving the Bible, leaving religion, if you will, in the dust. Then we move into postmodernism, which loosely fits the like maybe not late nineteen forties probably not popularized until, well, definitely by the 60s and 70s, and and, and we still find ourselves in that that kind of understanding of truth for many in our culture where there are no absolutes. We've moved from absolutes to, to relativism, from certainty to doubt and skepticism, deconstructionism, questioning everything. There definitely is no objective, um, universally applicable truth that we can speak of in this culture. We filter things in the the postmodern mind through experience and authenticity. We hear phrases like, no, that is my truth. I am simply living my truth. And you can't argue with my truth because it is mine. Whatever you're thinking is your truth, my truth is authoritative for me. It's a very challenging culture and understanding of truth that we live in. But what does Jesus? What does Jesus say about truth? I'm going to get a drink of water because it is hot. Jesus has a lot to say about truth, <laughs> praise God. And we, could look, I mean, we can go through, through God's word, kind of cover to cover and unpack kind of a, a biblical theology of truth, but we don't have time to do that. But even if we just look at a single book, the gospel of John, it's remarkable what we would find in just the gospel of John as we look at the words of Jesus, as he lays out um, an understanding of truth an epistemology. How do we know truth? John 14, 6, you probably know it. Powerful verse, but also deeply offensive in a culture of my truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus, I am the truth. I define truth. I embody truth. I am the standard of truth. Just a few verses down, verse 17, it talks about that the spirit of truth, check this out, lives in you. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a child of God, you have responded to the gospel, then the spirit of truth lives in you. Now, this is really good news. This is amazing news as it relates to the belt of truth, which we're focusing on today. This is really good news in a culture that is very um, uh, misinformed about what truth is. We have the spirit of truth living in us. John 8, 31, 32. If you hold to my teaching, Jesus says, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and check this out, and the truth will set you, what? Free. When we find truth in Jesus, that is not a truth that binds or weighs us down. It is a truth that literally sets us free. Free to live the life that we have been designed, created to live. A life of purpose and meaning, a life to the glory and praise of God, our creator. That is freedom. John 17 Jesus prays for his disciples and he says sanctify them by the truth your word is truth we've literally just looked at four passages of scripture and what a robust understanding of biblical truth right you see how that just smacks right up until uh, up into our culture and we have to have to hold on to truth we cannot let go of truth We find ourselves in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. But even Paul had a few things to say about truth besides wearing the belt of truth. In Ephesians, in Paul's understanding of truth, and we have in Ephesians 1 verse 13, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. We see that, that the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus is the truth. It is the, it is the message of your salvation. Verse 15 in chapter four, Paul exhorts his readers, his audience to speak the truth in love. So a slightly different angle at, at this truth uh, notion, but speak the truth in love, he says. I love this quote. It is phenomenal. It's by Tim Keller. Love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. Now, truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way that we cannot really hear it. Anyone been guilty of that? Anyone struggle with that balance of grace and truth? Oh, I certainly have. Oh, I certainly have. Ephesians 4, verses 21. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Are you seeing it? The standard of truth is Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is our standard of truth. Verse 24, just three verses down, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness, which is a whole section about what it looks like to live like Jesus. He is our standard of truth and what is right, what is holy, what is what is God like. And then I actually missed one. It's not on your notes. It's in, uh, it's in Ephesians 5, 9. And it's it's wonderful. I was rereading Ephesians after I already turned in my notes. But Ephesians 5.9 talks about that we have been called to live in the light. And that as, as followers of Jesus that live in the light, we will display righteousness and truth. It is a marker of a believer that we will be marked by truth. Now we get to Ephesians chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to start reading at verse 10. Paul writes this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Verse 10 is extremely important, and then Todd taught, taught on this already, but let me just reread it one more time. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And now we find ourselves at verse 14, and it says, stand firm then. The battle is real. The battle is is a spiritual battle, but stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The first thing I want you to note in your notes is this. The belt of truth is not an accessory. It is essential. It's not an accessory it is essential. And by the way, I know a thing or two about belts being essential. I have been a skinny man for all of my life. And I'm telling you, my belts aren't accessories. They are essential. Without my belt, bad things happen. Like, let's not even go there, right? I need my belt. I don't really care what it looks like, but I do care about its functionality. It needs to work. I need to make sure I put that on my pants or my shorts. This belt of truth is essential. Without it, bad things happen. Really bad things happen. Maybe our our mind goes to um, a Roman soldier's armor but actually probably one of the first pictures that Paul wants us to think of is actually a soldier we find in the Old Testament. In the book of Isaiah, we find a, uh, the messianic warrior a messianic warrior, which, which is uh, the picture of Jesus. And he's got this ornament and, and we find him in multiple places as it relates to the belt of truth. We encounter him in Isaiah 11. We encounter this warrior in 52 and 53. But it's, I, man, I love seeing how, how deep God's Word is. It just speaks to its divine authorship, its divine authority, its interconnectedness that we even see glimpses of of spiritual battle and and our armor, even in the Old Testament, personified in, in this messianic king, this messianic warrior that is coming. But let's face it, Paul was probably chained to one of those gnarly Roman soldiers. He was very familiar with those guys too. They probably roughed them up a little bit. And they had a belt, and it was essential to their survival. It wasn't an accessory, it was essential for their survival. Without the belt, their tunic would just be flapping all over the place, and they could trip. They would trip. They can't fight like that. They had to singe it all tied up and, and to, to make sure that they were ready for battle or they would be a dead man walking. Without the belt of truth, we are dead men and women walking. This belt of truth really is allowing God's word, the truth of Scripture, to shape us, to to shape our worldview. It's the set of lenses. It is a filter through which we de- make decisions, through which we uh, our actions flow. The belt also held in place a soldier's sword, which comes up later in our in our um, series on, on the on the armor of God, which is the sword is what sword of the Spirit. It's God's word. No surprise. I don't think that's a coincidence to have the sword of the spirit connected to the belt of truth. I love that. So as the belt of truth is a filter, it's a, it's a worldview shaping um, and, and knowledge of the truth. The sword is the offensive weapon into of how we engage and respond to the enemy on the attack, on the offensive. I love verse 10. I already pointed it out. Verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Think about those words for just a moment. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Todd explained a few weeks ago that the verb is, as, um, the, the voice is passive. It is a command, but the voice is passive. Passive. Sometimes we call it a divine passive in, in hermeneutics. A divine passive is when God is performing the action. God is doing the enabling. He is doing the strengthening. That is his job. He not, he, we receive the armor from him. He, he owns and gives us the armor. He strengthens. He enables through this divine passive strengthening, enabling. And then how does this work? But then we read in verse 14. Stand firm, then. There's nothing passive about that. That is an active command. It's an imperative. It's active. That is us. I will enable you. Now stand. What does that look like? Stand by. Making sure you wear the belt of truth. You will stand by making sure you have the breastplate of righteousness. You will stand by making sure you have the shield of faith, making sure you have the sword of the Spirit. So, this command to stand is lived out through appropriating the armor of God. And we will be victorious, we will stand. When God enables, when God empowers, and we respond in obedience, we will stand. And it is a we, isn't it? We, we looked at that the past couple of weeks. It, it is a you plural. But it is a you plural with individual responsibility. The you plural doesn't work if I don't do my part in standing, in having my armor ready the belt of truth is so essential. Um, we think about even when we, when we veer off of truth in our navigation, maybe uh, in the olden days with a ship. If you, are, you got your little compass going, I'll confess, I have no idea how compasses work. I wasn't a Boy Scout. But if you're just off just a couple degrees and you go for days, you'll be miles off of your destination, right? We're like, I don't know. I've never been on a ship like that. Well, how about this? If you're driving with your GPS... You drive in, you've got your GPS, it's telling you which way to turn, but then you get in a dead spot. So you don't have a standard of which way to go. There's no standard by way you can evaluate your driving, well, not evaluating your driving, your style of driving, we we ought to do that. But um, after after a few minutes of being in this dead spot, you're like, where am I? I don't know. It just has a little circle thingy spinning I don't know where I'm at. And we're lost. Without being connected to this standard that is found up in our satellites, the standard of of truth and where I need to go, I am lost. Without the belt of truth, you will be lost. I believe this survey reveals so many lost, self-proclaimed, self-identified evangelicals. I'm concerned that some of these may not even be believers in Jesus if they cannot acknowledge him as the true son of God, what hope do we have for salvation? The belt of truth is essential. Number two, the belt of truth is multidimensional. Multidimensional. Wow, I need some water. Um, Multidimensional, yes, yes, yes you have another little graph in your notes that you can just click on and it's going to pop up something that looks a little like that. And this really is a wonderful picture of the multidimensional nature of truth, the belt of truth, that it impacts our heart, our head, and our hands. Orthodoxy, orthopraxy, and orthopathy. It is not just about knowing the right stuff, the right data. It needs to be uh, lived out in our life, and it needs to connect and flow from our heart. In fact, I made another mistake in your notes. Uh, In the order, I think the order really ought to have been this. It starts with our right affections. Orthopathy, we have to have a heart that is rightly related to God and his word in order to respond and in in, in receive orthodoxy, our, 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 our teaching, so that we can live it out faithfully. If my heart is not um, willing and humbled before God to receive what he has, there, there, there's no hope. If I'm just so focused on my, on my, on my knowledge, on my doctrine become these doctrine warriors and, and we, we turn into to hypocrites or Pharisees that had no concern for, on how to live this stuff out. It starts with our heart, orthopathy or orthocardia, rightly related to God, rightly positioned before God in humility so that we can receive the truth And live it as he enables, as he empowers. Really powerful stuff. Which really leads me to the the third point. The belt of truth is relevant. Duh, right? It's like, okay. Um, Yes, the belt of truth is relevant. And just think about some of the challenges we are wrestling with today. Let's talk about COVID-19. Does the belt of truth have relevance as we engage a health crisis? Absolutely. Does the belt of truth talk about submitting to governing authorities? Well, yes, it does. Does the belt of truth allow us to, to, to have... Um, grace towards one another um, whether you choose to wear a mask or not to? Is there some Christian freedom that we can extend to one another without judgment? I think the belt of truth would speak to that. One of the concerns is the prevalence of just conspiracy theories. I think we have to be very careful as Christians how does what you're reading measure up to God's word? How does what you're reading measure up to what you know to be truth? What, what is driving maybe this, uh, what is enticing about maybe a conspiracy theory? Could it be that we're looking for an alternate savior? Could it be that we're looking for control or knowledge to somehow make us feel better because our hope is in other places? our standard of truth has drifted. The Bible calls us to be discerning, to think well. And man, many times throughout these last few months, I've had to tighten my belt. And sometimes my tightening of the belt did not mean getting more information. It meant, man, trusting more of God's promises in that moment, How about, you know what? We've covered COVID. Let's move to politics. Why don't we? That's great. Let's do it. Does the the belt of truth have any relevance in politics, in our politics, as believers, as followers of Jesus? Does the belt of truth talk about engaging in the political arena, in grace and truth. Would that maybe inform some of the things we do? Absolutely, absolutely. James reminds us to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Such wisdom there, on a man. Or maybe I should rephrase quick to listen and slow to post, quick to listen and slow to tweet. I'm not sure he's listening. Um, but there's just a tremendous wisdom there. How we engage. In, in political discussion, whether it's online or in person, um, how can we use Philippians four eight as our as our standard? And it's a high standard, man. Whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's lovely, wow. Think about such things. That's that's a really that's a tough standard. It really is, but that is the truth. John Stott, he wrote this, we are called to listen both to the word of God and to today's world in order to relate the one to the other. And it takes great wisdom to know how to wisely connect the two. Adam Ching um, put it similarly, one of the greatest challenges of Christian political engagement is to understand not just God's word, but also God's world. I came across a little book. I think it comes out tomorrow. It was already out on Kindle. Uh, I finished it last night. David Platt wrote a little book. It's called Before You Vote. Before You Vote. If you want to be challenged to kind of think through some questions as it relates to your voting, pick it up. It was like seven bucks. Um, Quick read. And it helps you process, okay, how should I choose to think about some of these issues? What trumps what? No pun intended. Um, what, how should I view, what, what are the big issues? And how do the little issues relate to the big issues? How do I sort through that as a Christian? I thought it was pretty helpful. But what about racism, injustice? How do we think about that as Christians? So thankful for our time. Um, last week, Marquise, thank you. You're behind the camera. Thank you for what you shared how do we respond as Christians? Because racism is not first and foremost a political problem. And I know you know that. It's a moral issue. It is a theological issue. Racism is, is a jacked up um, anthropology. Racism is a messed up um, anthropology, understanding of mankind. We, 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 we lose sight of what it means to be created in the image of God. And clearly, we, you know, we've established, and you know, it, it is sin. It is sin, and it needs to be repented of, confronted. But what now? What, what is, how do you pursue racial recon, uh, reconciliation? And that's like, like, like the million-dollar question, and, and there's, it's, it's a very complicated question, but how does the belt of truth relate to that? It has to include the gospel. That we're all broken before God. It has to include an acknowledgement of sin. It has to include forgiveness. It has to include Jesus. Some have suggested that the path forward is adopting color blindness. Color blindness is, 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 is devoid of gospel. It 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 it, um, it doesn't recognize the image of God properly. Or there's another model um, termed Anglo-conformity. What if everyone just does it like the majority group? It will all be better. That's not gospel. That's not repentance. That's not forgiveness. Or maybe it's multiculturalism that some suggest. All the, all the cultures celebrated equally and valued and, and practically, that just means that all the cultures accept The dominant culture is valued. And kind of setting us up for the same thing. And it's not gospel-centric, it is not Jesus-centered. It is not an acknowledgement of sin. It is not acknowledging the need for repentance and forgiveness. Complicated issue. The book I just finished, it's called uh, Beyond Racial Gridlock. And the term that this author, and his name is George Yancey, he puts for his mutual responsibility. a mutual responsibility to come to the cross, to come to Jesus. Acknowledge our sin, acknowledge brokenness, to seek forgiveness, to to love and respect, to dialogue, to serve one another, to put others' needs above our own, which is very Philippian 2-esque, very Great Commandment-esque. Again, there's no magic formula, but, but again, the belt of truth, just so relevant as we consider, how, how do we respond? How do we respond? These are weighty issues. And just given, you know, three minutes a piece of these huge issues is not to, to trivialize them by any means, but I wanted to just surface before you, wow, like as you encounter these challenges, Utilize that belt of truth. And that is not even considering some of the personal challenges we are all dealing with. Job loss, sickness, broken relationships, belt of truth, belt of truth, belt of truth. And I'm so glad, I already said it, for verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That is God giving you strength. That is God giving me strength. Even in the midst of COVID, even in the midst of a very gross political climate, in a very um, um, difficult uh, social justice, racial inequality climate to understand, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power and stand firm as you, Use, and just get girded up with this belt of truth so that we're not Christians that are just bobbleheads. Bobbleheads, because we, we have no firmness whatsoever. We have nothing that has given us a foundation. There's no anchor. We've been given an anchor. We've been given a foundation. It is God's word to shape our worldview, the way we make decisions without this belt of truth, we are vulnerable to attack. We are vulnerable to to panic, to fear, to hurt, brokenness, distrust. We're vulnerable to lies. When we don't know the truth, how can we discern what is a lie? So in the next few moments, as we respond in worship before we do so? I want you to consider or now what? God's strength and mighty power enables us to stand firm in our faith by knowing and living the truth. Would you take two minutes or so to process that quietly, sincerely before God? How is he challenging you? Is he maybe saying, Bro, if you're going to have a belt of truth, you need to get in my word so you can know the truth. I'm going to pray. And then um, after that, just take two minutes or so just to sit quietly before God and allow him and his spirit, the spirit of truth, to speak to you, to convict you, to challenge you, to encourage you. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for the belt of truth. Thank you that you have not left us alone in this battle, but you are, I mean, you are giving us the strength. You are giving us the power. You, this armor comes from you and we simply receive it and, and then we, then we put it on. And Lord, I pray that we would just not just, that we would really truly have this multidimensional application of the belt of truth that touches our hands, that touches our heart, that, that touches our head, our understanding of who you are, the nature and character of God and the nature of the world we live in and how to respond and live in this broken world as ambassadors of Christ, as lights in darkness, set apart, holy, living worthy of the calling, living worthy of the gospel. Lord, we can't do that. There's no way we can do that without you. So we look to you to give us strength, to give us a vision of of, of what it looks like to be a child of God, to follow you faithfully. And we come to you now just corporately, but, but privately. And we pray to you and just give you our hearts. Lord, we ask that this time would just be meaningful for each of us. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Go ahead and take these next few moments.